It was a difficult winter for those of us who are cursed with a particular kind of compulsion, compulsion that I will confess to you that I have. It's the compulsion of a clean driveway. Now, when you get, what, 90 inches of snowfall in a winter, sometimes with many, many inches falling at a time, it's hard to fulfill the compulsion of a clean driveway. But I think you might know what I'm talking about. If you have a driveway and it begins filling up with snow, if you don't get it shoveled right away, the car goes over it. And when the car goes over it, there are tire tracks that are now indelibly pressed down into the concrete or the asphalt. And then if you don't get those scraped up, what happens the very next morning? It turns to ice. And for the rest of the winter, before it warms up, well, in May or June, I suppose, whenever we get that, no, you have the tracks, the icy tracks, that are now embedded in your driveway for the entire winter. Not only is it difficult uh, to, to look at and to see, you also, it's it just a complete ice hazard. It's a trip hazard. It's something that you're going to stumble over or at least potentially stumble over, especially if you're having people over to your house. Oh, I'm sorry. Watch out for the skating rink in my driveway. It is not ideal. Well, this winter, maybe like your winter, I failed at times to get my driveway cleared off in time, and I had various patches of skating rink. Now, why do I start here? I start here because tonight we're going to look at one of the probably most difficult commands of Jesus. Probably one of the most difficult commands that he ever made. It's a command that is completely and intimately connected with relationships, with the way that we deal with each other. And it's a command that has something to do with offenses. With the things that make relationships difficult. The things that ultimately make our human relationships difficult is the exact same thing that makes our relationships with God difficult at times. Because we are broken. Because we are sinners, in the way the Bible would put it. Because though we may have good intentions... We express ourselves in bad actions. And as a result, just like our relationship with God is sometimes cluttered, is sometimes interrupted, is sometimes placed at strain by our own brokenness, by our own sin, so our relationships with others are are oftentimes compromised by our own sin. And Jesus' command that we're going to see here in Luke chapter 17, simply put, is deal with it. Deal with it. Listen to these words that he says in Luke 17 and verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass, and he doesn't mean your physical brother, he means someone connected to you in Christian community. If your Christian brother or sister trespass or sins against you, rebuke him. That's a command. 
That's not an option. That's not a, if you get around to it. That is simply a command, deal with it. And then look what he says. And if he repents, forgive him. Now notice, that's not an option either. That's a command. Now this morning we were dealing with the subject of authority. And we talked about the fact that in Mark chapter 11, the the chief leaders of the Jews came to Jesus and says, by what authority are you doing these things? And what they had to confront, what they had to realize, what they did not realize, they refused to realize, is that Jesus' authority was binding on them. When they looked at him and said, who do you think you are? to be exercising this kind of authority in our temple. What they didn't realize was that the right question was turned around exactly backward. Who do you think you are? To be standing up against the authority of King Jesus, the messenger of God. And as we come tonight to deal with what is inarguably a very difficult command, interpersonally, deal with offenses... Deal with sin in our relationships. We have to simply start by acknowledging the authority of Jesus Christ. You are King. You are Lord. You have the right to tell me how to run my relationships, how to run my marriage, how to run my family situations, how to run my friendships in the local church. You are in charge. And if we don't start here, Jesus, you are in charge. We're never going to be able to grapple with this challenging command. Deal with offenses. The title of the message tonight is simply this, Christ's command for relationships. Christ's command for relationships inside our Christian communities. And by God's grace tonight, may we see what he means by this difficult command tonight. And by the power of the Spirit of God, may we resolve to obey what he has commanded tonight. Deal with offenses. Or to go back to our first picture, shovel the driveway. Shovel the driveway right away. Deal with it. Don't let ice tracks compromise the ability of your driveway, your relationship, to function rightly. Let's start first of all here as we just work through this text, these four short verses, with a certainty. Will you notice with me a certainty that Jesus gives us here? Look with me at Luke 17, if you have your Bible with us tonight. Maybe it's on your phone or or, uh, in text, whatever it is. And look at verse 1. Then said he, that's Jesus, unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Now that's not normally the way we speak, so we need to stop and think about it for a minute. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Here's what he's saying. It is inevitable that offenses will come. It's inevitable that offenses will come. That's the certainty. Now, notice the picture that he's using here. It is inevitable that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom 
they come. Now the picture here is the word that is used here in the Greek for offenses. It's from the Greek word scandalon. The idea is a picture of a trap. A bent stick that was used in that day to set a trap. And the stick would be nudged or broken and the trap would snap. The trap would come down and close. It was what we might say a tripwire, a trap. The other way that it came to be described was something that tripped someone up. That's why in our King James Version, this is sometimes translated a stumbling block. Same idea. An offense, a stumbling block. Same word, same idea. Something that trips someone up. Something that entraps them like a kind of trap. Now, a picture here. Notice the warning that Jesus gives. It is inevitable that there will be things that trip each other up in in our Christian community. There are areas in which we are going to be trapped. Now, this is the reality of anyone who has been a Christian for some time. That the fact that they profess Christ, even the fact that the Holy Spirit has sealed them, that he is empowering them to live a life that glorifies God, we know in our own experience, that doesn't mean we'll never avoid being tripped up. We will. We still have a fallen nature. We still have a flesh that is incre- that, that can continue to be bent toward sin, toward wrongdoing. And so we see this testimony in our own lives. We are prone. It is inevitable that these kinds of trips and traps will come. But he says, watch out. Woe if you're the one who is setting them. Woe if that offense, that tripwire, that trap is coming through you. Now, a very simple illustration I think will help, will help here. I've got a two-year-old daughter, little Emma Ruth. Can I say with a complete certainty that Emma Ruth will trip? It's inevitable that Emma will trip. But do you know what I would say as her dad? You better not have been the one to trip her. You get what I'm saying? It's inevitable that Emma is going to fall and skin her knee. She's two years old. She's not very steady on her feet. But you better not be the one to set the trip for her. You better not be something to put something in her way to try to make her trip. You better not stick your toe out in front of her so that she falls down and skins her knee. It's inevitable that it's going to happen, but don't let it be you who intentionally causes it. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's inevitable that there are going to be people tripping and stumbling in their Christian lives. He's saying, but don't make, make sure it's not you. Make sure you're the one who's not sticking your foot out in their path. Now, notice what he says about this, why this warning is so severe. Notice verse 2. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend or trip one of these little ones. Now, notice how sobering and severe these words are. He's saying... I care so deeply about the spiritual health and well-being of those who are connected to me that it would be better for someone to die a gruesome, what he's intentionally saying here is a, a gruesome death than for those 
to provoke that kind of offense, that kind of stumbling, that kind of tripping. Now, we need to be careful here. Jesus is not saying that that our inadvertent leading someone to stumble can never be forgiven, can never be, be, be worked through in God's kingdom. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the kind of sobriety and seriousness we should have about encouraging one another's spiritual development and not hindering it. Not placing traps or stumbling objects in each other's way. And notice again here, he's, he's talking in the realm of relationships. He's talking about how we relate to one another. It's inevitable that offenses are going to come. But you, in your relationships, make sure not to be the cause. And we only need to look back into the Old Testament to see that every kind of relationship can be an opportunity to bring people into stumbling, to bring people into tripping and falling in their own battle against sin. What about Adam and Eve from the very beginning? Adam and Eve blaming each other, right? Eve gives Adam the forbidden fruit. And then what does Adam say? When God says, what did you... Hey, it was her. It was her. And what does Eve say? It was the snake. This idea of a husband and wife relationship leading one into sin. What about, what about Abraham and Sarah? You remember in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham saying of Sarah, Hey Sarah, when we go into this land of Egypt over here, make sure you say that you're my sister, not my wife, or otherwise I might die. He set a trap for her. She lied. And she almost was severely taken advantage of because it's a horrible position to put his wife in. Well, Sarah returned the favor. You remember when she, despite the promise of God, was discouraged about the prospect of having a baby. She said to Abraham, I got an idea. Take my servant and go in and marry her. And we'll have a baby through her. Against the plan of God. She set a tripwire for her husband. And he did it. And the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac has been one that has had literally world-changing consequences for thousands of years. A husband and wife relationship is a place where we so easily can trip one another up. What, what about parents and children? Ephesians 6 says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. In Colossians 3, he says, Fathers, don't, don't, don't treat your children in such a way that they be discouraged. What's he saying? Dads, you can set traps for your children spiritually in your relationship. It's a very sobering thing. What about sibling relationships? Well, look at the life of Jacob and Esau. Look at the way those two brothers in the Old Testament continually, if you will, were setting these traps from one another. Oftentimes, Jacob seeking to scheme to get a leg up over his brother and their relationship. And then Esau, in his anger and fury over being taken advantage of, caused his brother to have to run for the hills. Again, I could go on and on. Even in the New Testament, Jesus and Peter in this relationship. Do you remember when, when Jesus said 
the, uh, uh, to Peter when he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, ah, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then only moments later, when Jesus tells him he's going to die at Jerusalem, Peter takes him, if you will, by the lapels and starts shaking him and saying, no, it's not going to be that way. And Jesus turns and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are in offense to me. Same word. You are a scandal on to me. You are a tripwire to me. Peter was very well-meaning. He was intending to be kind to Jesus. He was intending to be loyal to Jesus. And in even that misguided loyalty, he was tripping, he, he was putting a tripwire, a trap, for his Savior and his Lord. You see, relationships are a part of our God-given world that we have, and yet they are so prone to being objects of tripping and trapping those to whom, with whom we are closest. 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks about the way that a man is to acquire, if you will, don't let that word trip you up, uh, uh, to get a wife, a boyfriend and girlfriend relationship. And he says, make sure that you're not defrauding one another. Make sure that you're doing so in purity. Make sure that you're not tripping up the other person that you are pursuing a potential marriage relationship with. Again, I could go on and on. These ideas, this relationship is so central to who we are as as human beings and as Christians, and yet it's such an opportunity for tripping. So here's the certainty. It's inevitable that offenses are going to come, but make sure you're not the one through whom they come. Be circumspect. Be careful. Now notice verse 3. We're going to look at a command. Jesus says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass or sin against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, in one day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent. Sorry. I messed up again. I was wrong. Thou shalt forgive him. Now notice here in verses 3 and 4, there's a condition and there's a command. Two of them. Two conditions, two commands. What's the first one? If your brother sins or trespasses against you. If he does that, then what? Command. Rebuke him. There's a condition and there's a command. Notice the second condition and command. If he repents of what he has done against you, then what do you do? What's the command? Forgive him. If he, if he sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, I already said this, but when, when he uses the word brother here, he's not referring, again, just to your sibling. He's referring to someone in your Christian community with you. That's why I believe that he is speaking absolutely equally of husbands and wives. He's speaking absolutely equally of our friendships in our Christian circle. He's speaking of your Christian siblings with one another. He is speaking of any two Christian believing people. If there is an offense that is caused by sin, deal with it. And then when it's dealt with, give complete forgiveness and restoration. Now step back for just one moment and see that again, Jesus is dealing in the realm of relationships. You have a relationship with another Christian, no matter who it is. That Christian 
sins against you. They break the relationship with you. They create this offense that Jesus has said, beware of, watch out for, be careful. That person commits that relational divide. And what happens? You deal with it. Now, if we have any doubt about Jesus' priority in this way, we could just go back to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus depicts a circumstance from the other way. The other way is in which you haven't sinned against, or I'm sorry, you haven't been sinned against, you have sinned against someone. And here Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you bring your gift to the altar, picturing an act of worship, at the temple of God, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that someone has something against you, the opposite of what he's saying here in Luke 17 when you have something against someone else. No, he says, when you know that someone else has something against you, then you leave your gift at the altar and you go your way. You first be reconciled to your brother. Your relationship horizontally takes precedence even over your act of worship vertically. You see that? You leave your gift at the altar in which you were going to offer it to God vertically, and you go deal with the broken relationship horizontally. Deal with it. So the, the idea, the picture that Jesus has here is when two people have a conflict in the Christian community, when one person has sinned, against another person, they should both be running toward each other. The person who did the wrong says, oh wait, i got to get that right with God. I can't go a moment longer until I get that right. And the person who's been sinned against, who perceives the breach of relationship on the other side, is also going to that person and saying, we've got a problem. We've got a breach. We've got a conflict. We need to deal with it. Notice, in this relational setting, Jesus is calling both people to be moving toward one another. Now, this is absolutely critical because it is against our own instincts. Do you know what our own instincts say when it comes to conflict? A couple things. One thing that we so often excuse it is say, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I... I'll just let it go. And I want to say this very clearly. There is a place in the Bible for forbearing one another and forgiving one another. There is a place in the Bible for long-suffering. What 1 Corinthians 13 tells us is that love thinks no evil toward his neighbor. There is a kind of love that recognizes there are personal irritations that I have, personal irritants that someone else might be, and I just throw a big blanket of love and of grace over it and say, you know what, I'm just going to cover that. I'm not going to raise it. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to cover it. Love covers a multitude of sins, Scripture says. But here's my challenge to you. We sometimes say that, that we're doing that, but we know in our heart of hearts it's not true. You say, how do you know it's not true? Because you're thinking about it nonstop. Because you don't want to spend time with that person. Because you know in your heart of hearts that it's affecting your fellowship with that person. You say, oh no, not a big deal. It's not a big enough deal. Well, how come your soul is treating it like it's a big deal? You're saying, I'm not going to spend the same time, amount of time with that person. I'm just going to leave it. If 
I, I can't take that as a Christian. I either truly cover it in love and in grace and say, no, that wasn't sin. That was just an area that I've got to work through, but it's completely done. I'm going to cover it with love and it's done. I have that choice. Or I have the choice to say, we've got a problem and we've, we've, we've got to deal with it. We've, we've got to address it. Jesus gives us no other choice. This is the command. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. In other words, the goal is to have a complete restoration of relationship. Now again, think about that picture of the driveway. There's a snowfall that falls on the driveway. There's some kind of offense. There's some kind of difficulty. And my temptation is to say, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to leave it. I'm just not going to worry about it. It's not a big enough deal. And then what happens? The cars go over it. A day passes. A week passes. A month passes. And suddenly, there's ice all over our driveway that causes us to slip all through the winter. And we wonder, well, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is. My fellowship has been hindered. My relationship with that person, and as a result, my relationship with God has been affected. How many of you have ever been out running or slipped a shoe on and there was a pebble in your shoe? I, I can't stand it. Maybe some of you can. I can't stand it. If I, see, if I feel any particulate in my shoe when I get it on, I just got to tear the shoe off and I got to get the pebble out. I can't, I can't deal with it, particularly if I were running. But here's the problem. Some of us have gotten so used to having pebbles in our relationship with others that we don't even feel it anymore. We go out for a run and there's a pebble in our shoe and we just keep on going and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Well, guess what? You're going to develop a callus on your big toe or on your heel or wherever it is. And then what's going to happen? We're going to say, well, it's truly not a big deal. The pebble didn't go away. You got a big callus on your foot, but you don't feel it anymore. And the challenge is Jesus is saying to us, get the pebble out. Don't let a callus form. Clean the driveway. Shovel the snow. Get rid of it. It's going to affect you. This is a non-negotiable, friends. Whenever I feel a pebble in my shoe with a relationship with another brother or sister in Christ, I need to deal with it. And that may be that I need to forbear and I need to forgive. And this is God's calling me to throw a blanket of grace and love over this. But you know what, friends? It may be that God is calling me to do something very difficult and go to another person and say, I sense that our relationship is not what it, it, what it should be. And I sense that there's been something that you have done. You've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Jesus doesn't give us an alternative. And you know, friends, this is consistent with everything we learn elsewhere in the New Testament about what it is to be a faithful Christian disciple. Think about what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Now, I was thinking about that as I was coming in today. I don't think Jesus had the, the idea in his mind when he said this, that salt melts snow and ice. But I thought about that analogy that I was starting with tonight. 
And there may be patches of ice in your relationship with your spouse or with your, in your family relationships or with other Christians. And Jesus is saying, have salt in yourselves. Pour some salt down over that ice that's accumulated where you haven't cleaned up, where you haven't taken the shovel and, and, and dealt with it right away. You know what, you need, what I needed to do in my driveway this year when it got icy? I needed to take a, out a big scraper. And I needed to go down there, and I needed to do some work scraping out the ice, ice patches. And the truth of it is, friends, for some of us in our relationships, we may need to do that. We may need to do the hard and humbling and difficult work of getting the ice scraper and pouring some salt, gospel salt, on some areas that have built up in coldness and hardness and sharpness and difficulty toward one another and start chipping away and start going to work. Because Jesus says, the option that is not available to you is to ignore it. The option that is not available to you is to just keep on going, whistling past the graveyard and thinking that there are no real problems. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 12. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Ephesians 4, Paul says, endeavoring, working to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow, literally, pursue peace with all men, with everyone. And I just want to stop for one moment tonight, before we go any further, and just ask this. Are you truly pursuing peace with everyone you know? You're pursuing it. What about in your marriage or in your family relationships? What about in your friendships here in the local church? Can you honestly, truly say with Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. As the Spirit of God speaks to you tonight, would you say honestly and humbly, yes, my driveway has some ice patches on it. I haven't cleaned everything off. There's unresolved conflict. There's difficulty. There's difficulty in my closest relationships. I have to deal with it. May I just again reinforce and highlight, Jesus gives us no other option. He gives us no other option than when there's unresolved conflict in the Christian community, both people are to be running toward each other and saying this is unacceptable. It has to stop. We have to deal with it. This is the command of Jesus. So first of all, notice the certainty. Offenses are going to come. Conflicts are going to happen. It is inevitable in our world. But Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Make sure it doesn't come through you. The command here is that when there are those unresolved conflicts, when there are those sin that breaks down even our closest relationships, he says, deal with it. Deal with it right away. And thirdly, I want to suggest from these verses a concern. A concern. Now, the concern that I'm speaking here is what we should be concerned about when we're in this period of restoring relationships. Notice when we say the word rebuke, 
rebuke, rebuke them. We have this idea of coming up alongside someone and just smacking them or something like that. Something severe, something really significant. I, I need to rebuke you. And, and, and that's not what Jesus is necessarily saying here. What I want to suggest is how we can go about these practical areas of our relationship mending, our relationship restoring, in a way that I think will be biblical. And here's what I want to say our concern ultimately should be. Our concern ultimately is in this question. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Whose side am I on? You see, that one of the biggest problems in relationships is whose side I'm on is my side. My side. And whose side I should be on is God's side. Now let me see if I can explain that to you. When I'm hurt in a relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, a family relationship, when I'm hurt, my natural reaction is to stand on my side and say, you hurt me. You wounded me. You said something unkind. You grieved me. You acted against me in a way that caused me pain. And you say, ouch! Now, I want to tell you that this is very natural. And we even see it in Scripture. I, I, Psalm 55. Do you remember the psalmist says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. I mean, can't you just see here the psalmist saying, what made this so painful? If it had been an enemy that had done this to me, that's fine. I could have dealt with it. But it was you. You were my friend. Why would anyone who has ever been to divorce court would tell you that marriage, the breakdown of marriage relationships are so much more hostile than any other kind of breakdown? It's because the closeness, the heat that brings such satisfaction to good relationships can so quickly turn to the greatest kind of permafrost and glacier. It is the closeness of the marriage that leads to the complete, the, the complete hostility when that marriage breaks apart. It was you. you were, I was so close to you. This is entirely natural. And what happens then in our own personal relationships, our closest relationships, when someone sins against us? We take that hurt and we respond naturally. What is our natural response? It's to strike back. Roy Hessian, in his book, The Calvary Road, who I just recommend, I can't recommend that book highly enough for dealing in Christ-like ways in our relationships with other people. He, he contrasts the snake versus the worm. The snake, when it's prodded, when it's poked, rears up, and it puts its flaps back so it he- its head looks about this big. That's the reaction, all of our natural reaction to being provoked to being sinned against. It is to rear up and then, as needed, strike back in response to pain. And any of you who have been in a marital dispute, you know this full well. What did you just say? Take that back. And then we go on the offensive. It's natural. But Roy Hessian contrasts that with the worm. A picture of Jesus who, in a prophetic passage in the Old Testament, says, I am a worm. And no man. How does the worm respond? The worm does not rear up. It does not flare its head. It 
it grovels. That's the only thing it can do. It is the response of humility in the face even of difficulty and pain and suffering. And then we remember that Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, Peter says, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. He committed himself. What did he do? He says, it's not about my side. Go ahead, slap me around. Go ahead, put a crown of thorns on my head. Go ahead, nail me to a cross. Go Go ahead, kill me. My cause is in God's hands. I am on his side. Now you say, why does that matter in the way that I deal with relationships? Because it allows me to deal with conflict in relationship in a way that is not provoked by my own desire to punch back. How many times have you raised something with someone else that you were in a relationship with and your thought was, I just need to get this off my chest. I just need to get this off my chest. You have sinned against me. I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to get it off my chest. Do you know that's just entirely unbiblical? It's not how Jesus responded to the provocation of his enemies. When I'm getting something off my chest, whose side am I on? My side. I'm saying, you hurt me, so I'm going to make you hurt a little bit. You hurt me, and I'm going to make sure you know how much I hurt. You hurt me, so I need to get this off my chest and dump it on you. But that's not how the person who's on God's side thinks. The person who's on God's side says, my spouse or my child or my Christian brother or sister, they have not sinned against me as much as they have sinned against God. This patch in our relationship is not so much about my relationship with him or her. It's about that person who I love, their relationship with God. And so therefore, I'm going to stand on God's side. I'm going to leave my side. And I'm going to try to see if we can resolve this issue. I'm going to see if I can be an instrument of God bringing that person closer to him, back into fellowship and communion with him. In, In other words, the contrast is as simple as this. The devil is an accuser of the brethren. When we sin, he accuses us with our sin. He stands on the side of sin, pointing at us and accusing us. What does Jesus do? Jesus is not an accuser. He is an advocate. Oh, he's going to deal with our sin. But he stands with us on God's side and addresses our sin. And in this very same way, if we want to be effective at bringing relational harmony, at restoring our relationships in the face of conflict and difficulty that is caused by sin, we're going to have to not be an accuser of the brethren like Satan is, wagging our finger and saying, you hurt me, you did something wrong against me. We're going to have to stand with Jesus, stand on God's side, and come meekly and gently and humbly to deal with this kind of sin. You know, friends, this is an area that is so challenging, but if you could and I could just remember one thing, 
to never try to raise a conflict when we're angry, when we're irritated, when we're upset and our blood is boiling. Do you know what's going to happen whenever I raise a relational conflict when I'm angry, when I'm irritated, when I'm upset? Guess whose side I'm going to be on? I'm going to be standing on my side. The thing that we need to do when someone sins against us is step over onto God's side, release it completely to Him, get victory over my own irritation, over my frustration, over my anger, and then I can go to that person. Maybe it's my spouse, maybe it's my family member, maybe it's my dear friend in this church, and stand on God's side to say, Can we deal with this? Can we address this? And don't be surprised when you go in a spirit of true humility and in true meekness, completely having your own anger and irritation released. Don't be surprised if the response from that other person is better than you had been anticipating. So what's the concern? The concern is whose side I am on when I rebuke. But do you know the same question? Whose side am I on when I forgive Do you know what's so natural in our tendency? We want to make sure the offender feels our pain. Jesus didn't. He took all of our sin on him. He took all of the shame. He took all of the pain. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that your heart for the person who hurt you? The relational conflict that's holding back your relationship? We want to sometimes use forgiveness like a bargaining chip. Oh, I'll forgive you as long as you never do it again. As long as you convince me that it's completely done. Do you remember what Jesus says here in verse 4? And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in one day, how's that for showing? Cross my fingers, I'll promise it'll never happen again. And seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Christ doesn't use forgiveness as a bargaining chip. He says, if you confess your, your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Every time. Every time. And ultimately, we want to use that offense to try to manipulate and change the behavior that we don't like. Not Jesus. Not when we're standing on God's side. When we're standing on God's side, we're simply saying, God, how do you want to address that sin? And how can I be an instrument of your grace and your love even to that person who has offended me, who has harmed me? who is in danger of tripping me up. Now friends, there are an infinite number more of practical things to deal with this subject completely. But tonight I just want to close again with this picture. Is there ice in your driveway? Are there areas in your relationships with other people, including those who are closest to you, that you know there is conflict? And that excuse comes to you, well, maybe it's not bad enough. Maybe I'm not sure. Maybe it's not a big deal. Be honest. You, you know it's there. Don't use the excuse to say, well, I don't know if they think it is. Put yourself in their shoes. 
what, what really do they feel? What really are they perceiving? About the relational conflict, about the difficulties, about the offenses, about the trips and the traps that have accumulated in that relationship. And if they're there, and if you know that you've got an icy driveway, then Jesus has a non-negotiable. Deal with it. Address it. And friends, if we're at points where we can't address it, then we just need to get help. We do. If we're in places in our spiritual lives and our relationships with one another where there's an icy driveway and our own, our own salt and our own, our own picks can't break it up, then we just got to deal with it another way. I can promise you it may not be me the one who is able to help those kinds of relationships, but we can point to areas where you can get help, where others can get help, This is part of the idea of Matthew 18 when Jesus says, if someone has sinned against you, go to him alone. Go to her alone. And then if she won't hear you, you bring two or three along. And if they won't hear you, then you go to the church. The idea is sometimes we need help in restoring relationships with Christian brothers or sisters that are at odds or that have been at odds for some time. The point is, when the driveway is cluttered up, Deal with it. It's an, in, it. It is an absolutely essential and integral part of our own relationship with God. Let me close, friends, just by saying this. Where is this in the broader context of what Jesus came to do? Jesus, it is said in 1 John 3, came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. He came by giving his own life, not only to forgive sin, but to strike a deadly blow against sin in our lives. And when we look at a world that is surrounding us, that is absolutely melting down relationally, so in, in a painful and difficult degree, when we see relationships in our work circles, and in our neighborhood circles, and in our in our, in our school circles that are breaking down in unresolved conflict, we see the purpose of the gospel, which is Jesus came to address the sin that breaks down our relationships. And as a result, I just, I just encourage you tonight to stand on God's side, to live out the power of the gospel, to see Jesus be changing and transforming your Christian relationships wherever they are. Friends, when the snowfall comes down, shovel the driveway. And if the ice builds up, commit with his help to dealing with it.